0: This morning we're in the third Sunday of Advent, and as we've talked about before, is, is that preaching in Advent has this tying together of sort of two themes: is that we have sort of the text or the Bible and what it says to us for the day, and then we also have this theme of us preparing for the God to come amongst us, preparing our hearts for Jesus to to sort of come into the world as Emmanuel, God with us. And then there's this other way in which we we stand sort of in John's place actually and look forward and backward. We we look forward to the return of Christ too. Is so that Advent isn't settled with just preparing us for, uh, in the words of um, Talladega Nights, six pound little baby Jesus, um, who, who we pray to. Um, half of people get that joke. Half of you will be like, talking about. Um He was a man. He had a beard. Um, gone on too long. Um, Point being is that we just don't prepare for this time when Jesus comes to us as an infant, but we prepare for this time also where Jesus returns to us. And so it's actually a time in the church year, in this church year here, but in the church year for sort of the universal in which we sort of await the return of Christ. We sort of bring to our forefront that things aren't as they should be. Now, what's interesting this morning, as I was thinking, as we were singing the songs, is a lot of them assume that the world is not as it should be, but it doesn't quite ring true for all of us the same way. The hungry poor shall, shall have food, that the world should be changed in these ways. It's, it's hard to see this as good news for people who are comfortable sometimes. But for most of church history and most of Israelite history, they exist in exile. They exist not in charge. They exist from the bottom. And so to sing these songs, one based off Mary's song, we talked about John's mother's song last week, is that they, or father's song, about this this resetting of the world is good news. There. It transforms things. It's needed in the world. And so it's funny, yesterday, I don't mean to judge, so you guys can do that on your own if I tell you this story, is that there were two pastors that there were news about yesterday. One was this pastor in North Carolina, who was apparently in a bit of trouble, and he was claiming persecution for buying his wife a Lamborghini. Uh, (laughs) Now, like I said, I'm a judge, and, you know, he may have saved up his hard-earned money and done this by himself, but the other pastor in the news yesterday was this pastor in China who has been missing for two weeks, and the the flock that he sort of uh, oversees in China, uh, was told that after two weeks, if he doesn't, if he's, he's been taken before, but he always comes back by the government. But if it goes longer than two weeks to release this letter to the world. And the letter he releases is about how, how God's judgment comes on nations because of the people and he accepts his role in that and that he is proud to go with God into the to sort of the belly of the beast and to be extinguished, right? And so we sing these songs here and it's hard to place ourselves in the spot that this might have sounded like in, in, in the persecuted church in China this morning, or the persecuted church in the Middle East. Or the church that, that knows that the world in some ways is if it's its the world is its home, it's a world that needs a new kingdom. It's a world that needs to be reset. So that's one of the things we come here to sort of have before us. But this this morning we have John. Uh, the Baptist, words from John the Baptist. Last week, we had the baby John the Baptist, which fits Christmas much better. But this Sunday, in in the church's wisdom, it gives us the adult John the Baptist. It gives us the Baptist that that comes and speaks at the edge of the wilderness. But I love the way that this passage starts. Luke is uh, is, is a skillful writer. He says, in the 15th year of the reign of Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was the governor of or of Judea, Herod the Tetrarch of Galilee, his brother Philip the Tetrarch, is, is he names all these places that are powerful, right? And so if we were to do that ourselves, you could say in the second year of the Trump presidency in the 50th year of the United Nations, in the uh, 10th year of Oprah being the spiritual guru of the country, is, is he names political, he names economic forces, so in the in the 14th year of, of, of Wall Street going up, I know it's not true, forgive me, um, but like he names all these political sort of things, he names these economic things, and he names these religious things, all of these together, and and then what he does is he names all these out, and it gives you this idea of the world that this comes into. Many of the people who first hold this would hear um, corruption, uh violence um anger like the silencing of people in this list of names too it's not just a list of names so that we can see this is different than other myths right other myths don't have historical figures in it but the bible is different it contains that's true but what it does is it says that this was a time that was not good this was a time where it was hard for people to live in the world but the miracle of the passages is, is where he sort of ends this he says that the word of the god um came to John, the son of Zechariah, in the wilderness. The word of God comes to the son of a barren woman at the edge of society, at the outside of society, is where it shows up. And so for us, we would be like, well, the word of God should first come to the people up top. The word of God should come to people who maybe are prepared to do something about it. The word of God should maybe come to to places that are, are more powerful and maybe be able to reset. But what Luke says, in this world of all these powerful people, in this world of all these people who, who control and who can narrate the world so that it is, this is one of the, the sort of themes of today's sermon is to narrate the world so that it is. The Word of God, which, which anybody would know that the Word of God would be like the true narrator of the world. If the Word of God were to speak into the world, that would be how the world is. The word of God comes to this wild man at the edges of society. It doesn't come to the halls of power, it doesn't come to the to the gurus, it doesn't come to from from in this case not to pick on her, but Oprah. It doesn't come from those places. But it comes from the fringe. It comes from a place you wouldn't expect it to come from. And so that's what happens here at the beginning of this passage is is John is named as this one who lives there out in the wilderness. In different Gospels, you get a sense of his diet, eating locusts and honey. In different Gospels, you get a sense of his clothing, wearing wearing camel skin and, um, and, and looking like a crazy man. What he is doing out there is he's preparing the way in the wilderness. He's preparing the way for the for the highway of the Lord, so that all people can come to salvation, so that all people can see this. And the great part about this Isaiah passage in this Old Testament reference is that it actually is about all people. You see, the the Old Testament has both sort of streams in it. We talked last week about how each—not that one. Uh, Great, I just lost the joke. (laughs) Uh, it's in here, but it's not. Is there one with lots of colorful lines? There we go. The, the, in the Old Testament, there's all these things about how this is going to work out, right? How God is going to take a presence in the world. And some of them people are interpreting as, it will only be good for news for the Jew. It'll only be good news for those who are Israelites. And that's certainly a possible stream there. But there's also this larger stream, this one that's referred to in the book of Isaiah, that what happens from these people, these Jews, will be something that inaugurates a kingdom for everybody. And so what happens when this way is made plain is that all people will be able to walk into the path of the Lord. So this great leveling will make that possible. And so this is what John is doing as he prepares his way out there. Mine isn't showing that, which is weird. Okay, so that's the strings that are pulling this all together. John is a character who sort of stands there. We talked last week about how this is how this story turns out, right? So at the time of Jesus, there's these these Pharisees, there's these zealots, there's these uh, sectarian groups, and they're all trying to say, if we pull the strings of the Old Testament, this is how we're going to say the future is. And what happens in Jesus and what John is portraying at the beginning is this is the correct answer to that question. If you want to say it's an equation, and, and this much goes into judgment of nations, and this much goes into judgment of us, and this much goes into who this person's going to be, and this is how we get free, this is the right answer. This is what comes to us in Jesus. And so John is calling these people out to this baptism that to be baptized to join this thing. And this is where we get to to, I don't know what order these will come up in. Um these holiday cards from John the baptist. this is This is where Advent, I think, turns our imaginations in a helpful way. So right now we're we're preparing for Christmas. I'm getting holiday cards in the mail, I'm sure many of you are as well. And I've yet to get one that comes with this this guy, <laughs> you brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the coming wrath? John the Baptist is having a successful crusade. He's having a successful time of reaching people. And when the people show up, he turns on them. They do not teach you this in seminary. Hey, things are going well and people are showing up. Now is the time to attack them. You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath? That's not what they tell you to do. And so you can imagine this is if Billy Graham, who passed this past year, if when people were coming forward for his invitation and he was like, okay, ten. 100, 200, now I turn. Okay, who told you guys to come forward? Who told you guys that this is the way it would be? That that that's sort of what John the Baptist does here is, is that this is not supposed to be this popular, right? This is not supposed to be something you can do. What did the message say, Chris, that you read? It said because it's the popular thing to do, uh that people were coming, which isn't which isn't in the Greek, but it captures some of what might be happening in this passage. Is that people say this must be a place where God is active, and so. Uh, We have uh, this one. This is my favorite one. Happy Advent, (laughs) you brood of vipers. What's the Home Alone line? Uh, Merry Christmas, you filthy animal. (laughs) I have a friend who cross stitches weird things, and she made that for Christmas this year, which was Merry Christmas, you filthy animal was her cross stitch. Next year, I'm going to tell her, Merry Christmas, you brood of vipers should be her her goal for this. Um, But we have other images of John as well. Um, but he always looks looks a little wild, a little ragged. And this is the one we come and listen to. This was actually the last one for Christmas card. Um, even now the axe is laid at the root of the tree. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown to the fire. Merry Christmas. Um, this is the message that we have for ourselves this Sunday that prepares our way for Jesus. But I think what, what we gather from this is that there's there's this Christmas song that says, let loving hearts enthrone it. That, like, let's prepare in ourselves this place for Christ to be enthroned. And so part of what's happening in the baptism, particularly in the Jewish imagination at this time, first is come and get washed. Come and get ritually (laughs) cleansed out of this river. Come and find new life again. Come and, come and be washed. It's not the same baptism as John says later. Is that I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. It's not the same baptism we have as those who stand on the other side. What's happening is that people are coming out to be washed to rejoin this movement, to rejoin who God is. It's not something we repeat. Now, what was weird at the time is that most of the time when you were getting baptized, it was a convert. Converts got baptized to Judaism. No Jew, no ritually participating Jew, would go out to get baptized. It would only be those who are new to the faith. But what's happening for John is that people who are on the inside are coming out to get baptized. It means something else is happening here. It means something else is being opened. And so these people are coming out to get baptized. And John, where he says, "You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee the coming wrath?" But produce fruit, keeping in repentance. We talked about this at house church this week. Is that we exist in this very hard point of Christianity is because we are heirs of the Reformation, and rightfully so. Salvation is a free gift from God, and you do nothing to earn it. And it's nothing that you can do to sort of seal the deal on it. It's all the work of Jesus. It's all the work of God. It's all the work of the Spirit. It's all the work of the Father. It's the vindication that comes in the resurrection that sets the world in a new place. And Luther, being one of these characters, Martin Luther in the 1600s, has absolutely no problem with playing that hand so hard that you you ask, what should I? why should I be good, right? John the Baptist and Luther may not kill long as well, because John the Baptist's advice is you need to produce fruit in keeping with the repentance you have. Luther famously called James a straw epistle because it contains the words. This is not why I did it, but this is the popular reason. But I'm nerdy enough to know why he did it. We'll get into that some other stuff. <laughs> but, the, but the main story we tell about Luther, and it's believable that he would say it this way, although this isn't the reason why, is that it contains those words that faith without works is dead. See, as heirs of the Reformation, we really want to make clear that this is the work of God. It's a generous gift that's offered on our behalf. And we don't do anything to earn it. And I think that's a message worth saying amen to. Amen. But on the other side of the coin, the New Testament does contain these streams that say when you inherit that repentance, when you become this new creation, when you take off the old and put on the new, when you move from death to life, new patterns and new things will emerge in your life. It will change. You can't go through that without being changed is sort of the pattern of the New Testament. And so if you're coming out to see John the Baptist to participate in the waters of repentance, and you think, I'm going to go back to life as normal, he tells you that's not the way it is. If this is your repentance, if this is what you're doing, you are to produce fruit worthy of that. You are to make your life, in some sense, capable of having that as what it is. And so he tells them, for the, the axe is at the root of the tree, and any tree that, that does not produce good fruit will be tossed into the fire. Lutheran John the Baptist may not see eye to eye here. But the crowd asked, what should we do then? Which is, I think, a very important question. Um, because if I were there, I'd be like, we're hosts. Um, uh, I don't know, like, I don't do the application part of the sermon very well. Many of you know who have been here. Um, and so the ask, the question, what should we do then? I don't know if they're calling his bluff or if he's prepared set them up for this. Aha, glad you asked. I have some ideas. Uh, don't do that to me because I may not. Um, side with Luther too much, I think. Uh, what should we do here? Anyone who has two hurts sh- should share one with one who has one, and anyone who's had food should do the same. First, the crowds asked. This is probably the one that might seem the most perfect to us. The crowds asked this question. Now, when I was younger and dumber, um, like two years ago, um, <laughs> I was actually at my previous church. I, there's there's a translation, I don't know what the message had. It's tunic is kind of the word that's here. But um, uh, it reads coat. Anybody who has two coats should give one. But Advent happens to fall around Christmas. And so, what I did as a certain illustration that Sunday was I brought up all my coats, which was more than one was much more than one. And I sort of said that this is a hard teaching for us. It was was sad for me. This is why I didn't do it this Sunday. Because it became apparent, what am I going to do about that? Right? Like I'm talking about the passage that says, if you have more than one of these, you know, I tell myself, well, they lived in the ancient Near East, where it's moderately temperate. I need a rain jacket. I need a ski jacket. I need a jacket so I look cool when I go out on Fridays. Uh, I don't go on Fridays. I have two kids. But I need that jacket anyways, just in case I happen to. Um, That's kind of the way that I rationalize it. Now, what has happened, it was hard. I mean, if you want to lay out your jackets when you get home and then have somebody else read this passage to you or lay out your shirts, it creates a hard truth in your life. And and part of what happens, I think, when we come to this passage is what should I do to produce fruit to avoid the coming wrath? You have two coats, give one away. If you have excess food, share it. Seems so small, right? Doesn't seem like a whole lot. But that 15th can of of potatoes I have in my uh, uh, pantry and the closet full of jackets says that that these aren't small or easy things, right? I mean, you would think his, his message would be tear down your whole life and rebuild it, go out in the desert, become a monk, become a saint. What he says is, hey, empty your closet a little and give out some from your pantry. And we go, oh, that's that's easy. Got that. And then we go back home and we go, maybe not as easy as I thought. Now there's there's a there's a book I read at the start of the year um, uh, by this fellow Jordan Peterson. One of the things he said that's given me some hope is he says, Compare yourself to not to against who somebody is today but compare yourself to who you were yesterday. Because if I compare myself to the way that some of my more radical friends who have renounced all things and live in communes and have no coats except for one, I make it very hard for me to move in the world. But if I compare myself to who I was yesterday, and who I can be today, it creates better possibilities for me makes it a little bit easier. And so what I can tell you is I have less jackets than today than when I laid them out on my stage at that. I've become much more conscious about it. Perhaps I've become much more corrupt in thinking about it, and we could get into that at a different time, but at least it's taken some root in my life to say that this is not the way I need to be. What jackets do I need? What jackets do I actually want and wear? Because I'll tell you, the Sunday I brought those up, there were a whole lot I had worn for a long time. There were a whole lot that had never been brought up. There were a whole lot that had been abandoned. But if I, if I were to compare myself to who somebody else is today who's given all this up, I would just feel sad. Just maybe necessary. <laughs> it is necessary to feel sad sometimes. But if I compare myself with my food and with my clothing and the means that I have to who I was yesterday, then I have potential to move forward and to make things better have potential to change. And, and that's why I think John's the Baptist teaching here is very pertinent, is it is so simple. I think it opens up the door to compare yourself to who you were yesterday. So tax collectors come up next. Tax collectors at this time, as many of you know if you've been in church or sort of considered the bottom of society. And they say, what should we do? And he says, take more more than you should. This is a radical change in that world, because there wasn't like an IRS that audits you. There was just a guy who showed up and said, this is what you need to pay, and then that moved up the chain. Now, this is like a giant chain of corruption, too, if you can think about it, because you are responsible to somebody else who passes it up to Rome, and so you're responsible to get what you're supposed to get, but you're also responsible to get some of your payment, right? Now, you can imagine... Uh, if you're a big conspiracy theorist, some people are, that you can imagine if the IRS had to earn their keep while also auditing you. Hey, we've gone through. You owe an extra thousand dollars this year. Also, I need a new car, so you owe two thousand dollars on top of that. I have to secure my own place here. What he tells the tax collectors is simple as well, and for anybody who's in charge of of people or overseas people, is to take what you what you're supposed to take. Don't collect any more than you're required to. Seems simple again. But he's radically changing the world. And then the soldiers come forward and ask what we should do. And he says, Beat your swords into plowshares. Leave that life behind. Don't work for the corruptor anymore. Set yourself free and join the true synagogue. Is that what he says? Any Jew probably would have wanted him to say that. You have soldiers as a captive audience, those who have us under their thumb in the world. And what you tell them is to not bully people anymore, to not take advantage of their position, but they're to go back and do what they do. See, what happens is, is this sort of thing we talk about with that Luther and John thing, is that it's something that you go back to your ordinary life in. It doesn't call you out of your ordinary life. But it calls you to go back to it in a different way. He calls to participate in it in a different pattern. He calls you to change the way you did what was business as usual. Why shouldn't I have all the jackets, food, money, and power? He says, don't bully with that power. Don't take more money than you're required to. Share the excess that you have. Again, it seems simple. We would probably write bigger things if we had a captive audience. But what he's doing is setting them up for this new thing, this thing that is going to come into the world. Now John is creating quite the crowd, and and the people say to him, is he the one? Is he the one who is to come? What John says to them is that I'm not the one because the one after Comes after me, I'm not even worthy to untie their sandals. Which in ancient Judaism, even if you had slaves, there were some rabbis who said you shouldn't have them untie your sandals. Not worthy to be the slave, uh, to be a slave to the one who comes after me. And not only that, while this repentance, I'm asking something of you, is with water. The repentance he brings will come with the Holy Spirit and with fire. The repentance he brings will change things. will come and take residency in your life in a different way. See, fire, this is we light Advent candles. Today is the third one, which is pink, because it represents joy. If you're wondering where is the joy in today's reading, it was in the Old Testament passages. Um, You can reread those again later. Um, But that's where the joy was for today. It's the joy of this inbreaking, right? But but candles are cute. Candles make good catalogs and Instagram photos. But candles also have flame and fire. And what I think it would be helpful for maybe if you have time this holiday season to see a candle and be like, what is the purifying fire of God that's active in the world? What's the purifying fire of God that's active in my life? Because even here... John's message is harder on insiders than outsiders. It's one of the things in, in the Christian world we, we kind of always get wrong. In the Jewish world, they made the same mistakes too. is we want the message to be harder on the outsiders than it is on the insiders. But Paul's logic is sort of this when he talks about it is how would they know any better? Things? You do. So how do we move into a place where we see God's purifying fire in our life? And not only that, as the spirit which enables us to move into power, to do these things, to transform our lives. See, because what John's doing and the advice he gives, which we already said was hard, was just with water, right? But the one who we participate in came with this fire, came with this Holy Spirit came with this way of empowering change, how much more then should it be for us? I think we can start with John. And there's 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 some people who think that John's role is actually is a character of what the church should be in the world. We warn the world of the return of the one that's going to reset the power relations, reset the way that it works, and draw all people into this path of salvation who will take it. So when the world asks us, what should we do? Don't steal. Don't be fair. Don't bully. These are the things that that are called into. And there's there's one thing I wanted to end with. Let's see if I make it to the right side. Good. There's two things. One is um, Evangelion. It says that this was good news. John was preaching this good news everywhere. Is that a little tip by Luke? I'm like, hey, some people call this good news. Or is it um, is something else? The Greek word for good news is Evangelion, which has this way of announcing something new. This is not that word, by the way. Uh, Hampton knows that. Um, but uh, that is this is not that word. We'll get to this word. But it announces, this is the, the Roman word for announcing, like, victory of a battle. This is the Roman word where a messenger would say is that, that Caesar has won this battle. The good news that John the Baptist is announcing, which we talked about at the beginning, is the re-narration of the world from God. It's the reactivity of God in this space. If you know Jewish history at all, it seems there's about 400 years from the time the Old Testament ends to the time the New Testament begins where they really haven't had the prophets as active. And so what this good news is is that God is alive and active, and God is going to narrate the world again. We fall for all sorts of other narrations— Get as most as you can. Protect what what you have, this, that, and the other. But the narration of God is what's being announced. The Evangelion, the good news, is that God has come, taken residency up in the world, and his victory is about to come over the powers of darkness. That's the good news. This word, metanoia, um, this word is the word for uh, repentance that's used here in this passage. And it entails making a U-turn. Now, Kelly tells me, I don't talk about the reasons that we picked defines church as our name enough. But this one didn't get named. It was like, why be defines church, I made a list of ten. They said, 10's too many. Um, so I had to cut it down. But this is one, is it involves a U-turn. The, the Greek word metanoia involves a turn, right? And so one of the things that we try to practice here as our community <laughs> is taking a turn away from the way things are. Right? We could go with the flow. We could go with the narration the world provides. We could go in the paths of of more money, more power. Um, Let's pretend like death doesn't happen. Let's improve our lives in these ways. Let's fall for uh, the people named in this passage, uh, the way that Tiberius Caesar and Pontius Pilate and Herod, and the way that they'll set up the world so one of the things that I was telling people is that defiance actually names our way of turning from what I call sort of a world bent on death back towards a world aimed at life. It names our posture, our our way as best as we can, empowered by the Spirit, purified by the fire, that we can inhabit a place in the world that says we don't all have to go that direction. There's another way to be. There's possibly another way for us to be human in that place. We find that and find its fullness is in the way that Jesus came and took up residency in the world and modeled for us who and how to be. And so we, this morning, have this, this John the Baptist character who comes to us, proclaims this baptism of repentance, proclaims, incidentally, no time for today, also the forgiveness of sins. Sets us on a new path. Tells us not captive we're not captive to what's been done in our past. Proclaims this forgiveness that sets us free. And puts us in a way that we can live a new life. Give away an extra thing. Share your excess. Be fair and don't bully. It's a small message. Small things. But it seems to be the ways in which God wants us to inhabit the world. Let us pray. God, our Father, you have given us your Son who models for us a new way to be human.